Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hi, this is Erin Fries-Smith with the New Books Network podcast. Today, I'm here with Sarah Ladipo-Manica. Her book, Like a Mule Bringing Ice Cream to the Sun, was published by Cassava Republic. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, so let's go ahead and jump straight into it. So what is your background, Sarah? Uh, so I am the daughter of a Nigerian father, a British mother. And I grew up in West Africa. I grew up in Nigeria and then lived in Kenya and then lived in Europe for a while. And now I live here. And now I'm a mother and a teacher and a writer and someone who loves stories, who loves telling stories and hearing stories. And uh, this is what I, what I now do. I, I write fiction and nonfiction Okay. And what brought you to that? Because you're, you're being heralded now as, as the, as the new African literature, the new proponent of African literature. What brought you to that point? Did you start with more academic writing? Uh, yeah, I, I, I do have a, I, I guess I, I, I just completely jumped over that. I do have <laughs> um, an academic background in the sense that uh, I've done a PhD and, um, my PhD was actually not in literature. It was in education. And it's interesting because I, I – so I, I did a PhD at the University of Berkeley here in America. And I was looking at um, – it was a comparative study looking at university – student experiences in universities, um, students who are coming – who came from Africa and studied in France, England, and the U.S., and in a funny sort of way, it was doing my doctoral work that ultimately led me to write my first novel because I became much more interested and fascinated by the stories that I was hearing from students as stories than sort of as, um, you know, anything that would lead to great uh, theoretical, sociological insights. And so uh, when I finished my PhD, I then promptly went to write my first novel. So, yeah, so I, I think I, in, my, in my mind, my, um, my uh, academic experience and background led me actually to, well, at least definitely write that first novel. Right. And your first novel was Independence. Yeah, that's uh, correct. Published in 2008. Yes, yes, right. yes. Um, and so, so bring us into this book. What, what stirred the inspiration for this book, um, Like a Mule Bringing Ice Cream to the Sun? Which is a fantastic title, by the way. Oh, thank you. You know, I think the inspiration was similar in that I, when it comes to fiction, I'm always drawn to stories that I'm longing to read but can't find. Mm-hmm. And Toni Morrison is famously known as saying, if there are stories that you want to read and cannot find, then you try and write them. And that's, that's what I have done thus far with fiction. Mm-hmm. And I... I was reading a lot and I was finding quite a few books about older men, but I wasn't finding 
the equivalent about uh, the equivalent books about older women, mm-hmm. and certainly not older women who were black, uh, you know, immigrants, expatriates, uh, you know, when I say expatriates, expatriates, African Africans coming to America to live, as was is the case with my character, and I was very curious about. Um, the experience of people who come from different cultures and age in a culture that's not theirs. Mm -hmm. So that's certainly the case for my character. And uh, while I wasn't finding these stories, uh, I was meeting all these incredible women who were telling me interesting stories about their lives. So, yeah, so it was really a hunger for stories that I wanted to read and wasn't finding. And, um, you know, and, and, and not just about an older woman, but I, I wasn't finding stories about other sorts of characters, people in San Francisco that I, that I come across that I was finding interesting. Um, so the, the book is about my main character, Mariah De Silva, but it's also about what some, you know, might find to be an, an unusual set of friends that she has, ranging from a woman who is homeless, who sleeps in her car, to a Palestinian shopkeeper, you know, a great diversity that's reflective of her world um, as she she lives it in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it does seem as though she seems so positive at the start. Mm-hmm. And she seems mm-hmm. so open. But it also appears that the people that she interacts with most at the end and, and those upon which she relies upon didn't really um, come into her life until after, or didn't really have an importance to her life until after she becomes vulnerable. You did such a delicate job of backing into her life. You know, you, you pique the reader's interest in these characters. They keep opening up, but it, but it feels as though she was quite one dimensional until she has a fall until she was vulnerable and it was after that point when when we really start diving deeper into her into her life and into her background, which I found really interesting. So, as you were writing the the story of of Moreo da Silva, where where is this? Where does this character come from? Does she, is she an amalgamation of a lot of different characters that you've seen in your life, or is she someone in particular to you? Yeah, I think she is an amalgam. She's not based on any one person, but definitely inspired by a lot of these women that I um, have been mentioning that mm-hmm. had these incredible stories that I found uh, I wanted to see more of this reflected in fiction. And I think, you know, I think there's an element of me in every character that I write. So, uh, you know, there's, a, there's probably a tiny bit of me, all the best parts of me uh, <laughs> in my characters. What you can uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, she's, she's, it's fiction. So she is, she's, uh, there's a lot of imagination that's gone into her too. Mm-hmm. And her, her character definitely changes. Um, as you, as you created this character, as you introduced us to her, you introduced a lot of other people at the same time. This, it feels as though it's her story, but, but she's not the only central character to the story. There's, you, you really pull out a lot of other characters in completeness, which I, which I really appreciate. I, I think it was very good. Um, so as we open the novel, she's, um, the character is very positive. She's, she's in charge of everything. 
And it, and then all of a sudden she has this fall and she becomes vulnerable and she has to start depending on other people. Can you talk about this and how this forced the character to change? Yeah, I think that's a, it's a very important uh, pivotal moment for her and in the story. Here is a character who is very self-sufficient, who values her independence, uh, who, you know, she, she loves to drive. And so when anything threatens that, which uh, things do in this story, that begins to shake the certainties that she has about herself and about life. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of the things that I wanted to explore with the character, uh, but it's also just one thing that, you know, I have been thinking about as I think as one gets older, at least let me just speak for myself, as mm-hmm. I get older, I think more about stages that may come if I, if I continue to live uh, longer um, and how will I age and um, just looking at, you know, people that I know in their later years and seeing how people deal with fragility, um, these challenges to one's independence. And so, yes, I think that's definitely something that was behind what I was trying to explore when such a vibrant character is challenged and, and, you know, not everything is in her control. And in life, nothing is ever in our control. Um, but I think, you know, as one grows older, it can sometimes become much more apparent, which it does for Mariah. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it also forces her to rely upon others. It forces, it actually deepens her relationships with her friends. It would be interesting for you to, to speak about her relationship to Sunshine. Yes, yes. So Sunshine is a character who is younger than her. She's a young mother, and uh, Sunshine is she. She gets a lot from Mario in terms of um, benefiting from Mario's world experience and, and wisdom. Um, but she doesn't. She doesn't fully understand how important. Uh, things like books are to Mariah. So, you know, I'm sort of giving away some of the story here, but when Mariah has this fall and uh, Sunshine is trying to be helpful, she ends up uh, clearing out uh, books that are very valuable and important to Mariah. So this is a big disappointment to to Mariah. So I think, uh, you know, and Mariah has always had that sort of relationship of um, someone who's quite sage and wise with Sunshine and hasn't necessarily been in a position where she's vulnerable and where she really needs to rely on others. And um, so I think, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's a difficult period for her to go through, but it's, it's valuable. I think true friendship, there has to be vulnerabilities and, and that's how you get to, to know people, but it's how you get to know how to support others better. So, yeah, that's certainly what happens mm-hmm. between Sunshine and Mariah. And it also helps Sunshine as well. It, it helps give her purpose. She seems a little lost and a little... Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Mm. And what do you think uh, Mariah's relationship to Nigeria is? She's obviously a well-traveled woman. It uh, talks about how she lived in uh, India, and, and she's obviously lived for a long time in the San Francisco Bay Area. Did she also live in England as well? 
She did. And I always get nervous as an author. I'm thinking, you know, I don't fully remember everything. I'm <laughs> myself. Because, of course, in drafts, I don't know, she could have lived in China. She could have lived in Pakistan. And I just struggled to think, okay, where, where did I? Uh, but, yes, she, uh, I think, I believe her father was in England for, for yeah. a period. So she at least spent some time in England and she's she was a she was a as a young child she yeah. was in boarding school in England <laughs> well but it, it seems though her relationship to Nigeria is actually quite complicated she remembers it very wistfully and and romantically but um the the realities of Nigeria come up in the yeah. book so uh-huh. so where would you say that she falls in in this relationship to Nigeria well there is a fair bit of nostalgia uh, she thinks back to her childhood. She thinks back to some of the years there that she spent uh, as a young married woman. <clears throat> um, you know, she is older, and so she's also lost at this point in her life. She's lost friends. She's lost her parents. Um, so those ties have gone. Mm-hmm. Um, but as someone who has lived around the world, um, she has um, ties to different parts of the world. So I think although she she does think of Nigeria and it has formed and shaped her, she also has these ties, longings, remembrances, remembrances to other parts of the world as well. Um, but along with the idealism, you know, that she has about many places that she's lived in, including Nigeria. Um, she's also very well aware of the fact that, um, you know, no place is perfect. And, you know, particularly as she thinks about Nigeria and as she contemplates perhaps going back to live, mm-hmm. she realizes that there will be things about her life in America that she would greatly miss. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I think, you know, if she's, you know, she both dreams, but she also has, um, she's not always dreaming. It's not always a nostalgic look back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. And do you think that she ever could go back? Uh, yes, she could. Um, this is fiction. She could. <laughs> she, <laughs> she, she could do anything. Could do anything. <laughs> No, but as a, um, as a character, do you think that do you think that she would be able to survive such a journey? You know, going back to her childhood home, seeing that it how different it is. I think she could. I, I think she's has a she's very adventurous. So here is someone who every time she has a birthday, she wants to try something new and mm-hmm. daring. Uh, so she's not she's not fearful. Um, and she's also someone that we see in this book as uh, very quick to make new friends. So, you know, she couldn't go back to the old Nigeria, the old set of both childhood friends and friendships in adulthood. Uh, but she could certainly make friends. Uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think she has that She has that energy, that verve, uh, that interest in people and um, but most of all, you know, not af- not afraid to try new things. And I, I think, you know, this quality of being open to the world and uh, being open to trying new things was something I was really interested in exploring in the book. And it's certainly something that I've admired 
in some of my uh, much older friends. And it's certainly something that I aspire to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I have a great sense of adventure or if I would be willing to try new things, but it is certainly something that I find fascinating and very attractive um, uh, in, 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 you know, people who are, who are older and it's something that I would like to hold on to. So in this sense, that, that aspect of the character was talking directly to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to, what was your writing process for this? How long did this take you to write? It's all, you know, it's it's difficult for me to say exactly because I think sometimes I carry a story or at least elements of the story in my head for many months, sometimes years before it actually gets down on paper. And I'd certainly been thinking about older characters for a while. And I, so I, I would say it took me a few years, probably. 18 months thereabouts to actually get it down on paper and get it to a state that I felt was, mm-hmm. was strong. Mm-hmm. And can I also talk to you about your decision to publish with a Nigerian press as opposed to an American press? I mean, you live in San Francisco. You, you certainly could have tried for an American publisher. I'm sure it, it would have been well received there. What did it mean to you to publish with Cassava Republic? Yeah, so Cassava Republic published my first book in Nigeria and uh, in other parts of uh, the continent, uh, in other parts of Africa, mm-hmm. in addition to, to Nigeria. And I, you know, after I wrote my first book, I became just more conscious of the way that publishing works and more conscious of the fact that um, the means of production, uh, well, more conscious of the fact that novels were not published um, or were not um, okay, let me back back. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is a topic where I could say many. Okay, so I became concerned by the fact that a lot of novels that were written about by African writers or that were set in Africa weren't actually available in the continent. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I was, you know, from the very beginning, the first novel, I was very keen that the novel, because it's the first novel is set uh, mainly in Nigeria, I really wanted to see it available in Nigeria. Um, and you know, I, so I, I, I said that if I was to write another book, I would like to be in a position to actually give world rights to a publisher that was based in Africa to a Niger- and to my Nigerian publisher, because I like the idea of them having the rights to sell the story to other territories rather than what has been the norm, which is, you know, Many writers, whether they are based within the continent or outside, will give world rights to a European or an American publisher, and then um, maybe that publisher will sell the rights on uh, to a, a publisher in Africa, maybe not. So um, I, I wanted to do that. Just that was an ideological position for me. Uh, but I also it was beyond sort of ideology and that I was really longing for a publisher who I felt would really understand the different worlds that I was describing. So would understand, uh, you know, uh, the Nigerian element, uh, the European and the American. And, and I felt that the, those 
who were in the best position to do that were my Nigerian publishers. And, the, the you know, Cassava Republic was also really sort of encouraging and excited about things that I was doing that didn't quite fit into the norm in European or I'll just focus on American because that's mm-hmm. where I live. Um, so the, the novel that I've written is short. It's technically a novella. And novellas, for whatever reason, haven't been very popular uh, or are, are seen to be more difficult to sell in America than the standard novel. It's sort of the length of my first book. Um, but I didn't, I didn't want to change the form. I didn't want to make it a longer novel. I felt that the length was exactly as I wanted it to be. So it was exciting for me to come to a publisher who was quite happy with the form and also, you know, a publisher who could think really creatively about book covers, didn't fall into what are often some of the stereotypes that you find around book covers uh, that are about, have anything to do with Africa, often the, the covers are very stereotypical. So yeah. so I guess, you know, I, I was just really after a breath of fresh air um, on many levels. And this is what um, Cassava was able to, to offer me. So, and it, it's exciting to see, you know, what they are doing with literature and the new names that they are bringing to the world. Um, it's exciting to see you know, they have authors such as Leah Denley, who's a crime writer, and they have other crime writers. It's exciting to see uh, writers such as Yemisi Aribisala, who's written this new book, um, Long Throat Memoirs, Soup, Sex, and Nigerian Taste Buds. It's not fiction, but it's an exploration of cuisine. Um, it talks about that it's like history and culture mm-hmm. and, and it, so are all intertwined with with uh, discussions of cuisine so these are all just really exciting new angles i feel that um a publisher like cassava public press is bringing and there are other publishers uh in nigeria and in other uh, countries in africa that are just beginning to have that uh renaissance and and for me it's exciting it's enriching um, to Africa and it's enriching to other continents in the world. So a very long <laughs> no, that was that was that was really good. And I think there's so much as you're saying, there's so much going on with African literature right now. And it's refreshing to see your book, which is not the typical African book, as it were. I mean it's it's a book written by an African as opposed to this this cliche this this caricature of what what westerners believe is africa i thought it was very refreshing right and you know isn't it exciting to get to a point where there is no there is no stereotype i mean there is no stereotypical american book there is mm-hmm. no stereotypical exactly. british book so i long you know and and we're getting there <laughs> you know um and also having books that speak to you know this the book that i've written speaks to San Francisco in many ways that you could call it a love story or a love letter to San Francisco. So you're having so-called outsiders um, tell you something about America. Mm. And uh, um, that's, you know, those are the stories that I'm interested in reading and and hopefully they are also stories that others are interested in reading too. Most definitely, most definitely. And as, as you were saying, I mean, you, you could almost place this book 
in the the genre of American literature. It's it's the other in the United States. I mean, every every character that you have is an other interacting with San Francisco as a place um, and the United States as a larger place. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Yes. And, you know, uh, uh, America is a country of immigrants. So it's, uh, it is an American story. (laughs) (laughs) So in in that respect, but you know, it's also, it's been, for me, it's been interesting to see um, the sorts of people that have, uh, being drawn to the story. And I remember being particularly touched a few weeks ago. I was in Chicago and I was doing a reading at a, a bookshop. And one of the people in the audience was a 75-year-old white male, uh, a gay guy who had spent many of his years in San Francisco. And so, you know, not African, not black, uh, but the age of my character and very interested, sorry, I have sirens going past, uh, very interested in, in this question of aging in a city like San Francisco. Sure. So, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's so interesting for me as a writer, I write from a particular perspective and then you have readers who come from all sorts of walks of life and who throw interesting um, reads, perspectives onto your work as, as they interpret it, as they, um, as they enjoy it in their own way. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much. Thank you so much for your time today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been I, a pleasure. I think that this is definitely a book that a lot of people can, can, can find inspiration from and will enjoy. Um, again, the book is Like a Mule Bringing Ice Cream to the Sun by Sarah Ladipo Manica, published by Cassava Republic. Thank you very much, Sarah. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much.